1: more teachers started saying we can talk about how you might make assumptions about somebody about about who they are based on their words but you might be wrong and some of those assumptions and i thought you know that's that's true also i i, I guess that's right i never really intended it to be used that way but i think that's that's a lot of how how books often are. You don't always intend you can't know how readers are going to interpret your books. And hopefully they find even more in it than I meant to put in it and that's definitely what happened with Dear Dragon.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today, we have a repeat guest to talk about a spin off picture book to his very popular Dear Dragon. Josh Funk is here and will be talking to us about Dear Unicorn, an uplifting celebration of new friends, creating art, and stepping out of our comfort zones. By day, Josh Funk writes C. Java code, and Python scripts as a software engineer, which he's been doing for the last 20 years. In his spare time, he uses ABCs, drinks Java coffee, and writes picture book manuscripts such as How to Code a Sandcastle, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast, The Case of the Stinky Stench, Dear Dragon, and more. Josh graduated from the UMass Amherst Commonwealth College with a degree in computer science. He is a board member of the Writers' Loft in Sherbourne, Massachusetts, and the co-coordinator of the 2017 New England Regional SCBWI Conference. Before I share our conversation, here's the synopsis for Dear Unicorn. Two pen pals received the shock of a lifetime in this giggle inducing Ode to Friendship, Art, and Keeping an Open Mind. Connie's art class is partnering up with pen pals this year, and she loves exchanging letters with her new friend Nick, even though the two of them are polar opposites. Connie takes her art seriously and thinks things like kittens are nothing more than a distraction, while Nick has a more whimsical approach to painting and knows the value of a good cupcake. But both are eagerly awaiting the end-of-year Pen Pal Art Festival when their two classes will finally meet. But they're in for quite the shock. Connie doesn't know Nick is a unicorn, and Nick has no clue that Connie is a human. It turns out, though, that even this surprise can't get in the way of true friendship. Through their letters, they see their differences are their strengths and that they have a lot to learn from each other. With Josh Funk's signature laugh-out-loud humour and Charles Santoso's explosively fun illustrations, Dear Unicorn is a celebration of new friends, art and stepping outside your comfort zone. Hello, Josh Funk. You're officially a two-timer on the Growing Readers podcast today.
1: Thanks, Bianca. That sounds kind of like an negative thing though.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. No, I don't mean it that right. way, but it's your second time on the show, which is amazing. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank yeah. you. And I'm 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 really grateful that you're here. What's really fun about being a two-timer is that I get to send our listeners back to our episode that dropped on September 12 of 2022, and they'll get to hear all about what guides you and drives you in creating children's books. But what that means for today is that we get to dive right into your new book, Dear Unicorn, but we can't talk about Dear Unicorn without talking about your picture book, Dear Dragon, that is a huge fan favorite of teachers for using in the classroom. So why don't you kick us off with telling us why you chose to do a Dear Dragon
1: spinoff? That's a great question. So Dear Dragon, it came out in 2016 and it's illustrated by Rodolfo Montalvo. And it's about a boy and a dragon who are pen pals through a school class writing program throughout the year and they're writing letters to each other and they're also writing letters to each other in rhyme. And part of the reason that they're writing in rhyme is because towards the beginning of my writing career, I only wrote in rhyme. And so that's that's sort of why I did it. It, it turns out that this was an added benefit because it's it's got a lot of things going for it, especially for use in the classroom. It's done very well in schools, and it might be my best-reviewed book to date. It's got letter writing. It's got poetry, and... It's also got something that I didn't really intend. It's a, it's the boy and the dragon. They're writing letters to each other, but they don't realize they're writing to a different species. So George, the human, he says, oh, I was a knight for Halloween. And the dragon thinks that's scary. And you see, here's what George is. George is actually just dressed as a, as a Halloween. But then you have the dragon, which is imagining a, a, a scary night. And then the dragon says, um, my father won our, our local fire breathing contest. And, and obviously he's talking about his dad, the dragon blaze, the dragon is his name. And the human is George is imagining. A circus performer winning a fire breathing contest. So there's a lot of misunderstandings. And I just thought that was going to be funny to see like, Oh, one of them thought one thing and you, you, you visually see it's a picture book, what one of them thinks. And then on the other page, you see what really happened. And I thought it would be entertaining and humorous, but when teachers got a hold of it, they started finding things that I never really intended. Number one, they thought, wow, it's great that these two characters with completely different backgrounds, they become friends through writing letters. and they never even see each other. Uh, spoiler alert, they become friends at the end. It's a picture book. It's been out since 2016. If you haven't read it by now, that's on you. <laughs> um, and I thought, wow, you know, that's cool. They become friends. You know, you could you could have give this to you know people from arguing factions and be like look you know you have different backgrounds but you 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 can still become friends and, and i never really thought of that i was like oh yeah i guess that's true and then more teachers started saying we can talk about how you might make assumptions about somebody about about who they are and um based on their words but you might be wrong and some of those assumptions and I thought, you know, that's that's true also. I, I I guess that's right. I never really intended it to be used that way. But I think that's that's a lot of how, how books often are. You don't always intend the way... You can't know how readers are going to interpret your books. And hopefully they find even more in it than I meant to put in it. And that's definitely what happened with Dear Dragon. And... It was always meant to be a standalone book. I never thought of it as a series or what are we gonna do next with George and Blaze or their teachers maybe the next year they'd have a new crop of students or something. That 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 wasn't something that I ever really had any any thoughts that would be the right thing for extending the deer dragon universe. But a few years after the book came out, I was in line at the slinky dog roller coaster at Disney World. I was with my oldest, their name is Percy, and they were in line with me. It was really nice day, but pretty hot. And the line was so long and I was like, oh my God, this line is never gonna end. And I was all negative about it. And then I was like, but, but I'm in Disney World. And that's awesome. And then we turned a corner and we thought we were about to get to the front of the line. It turns out that the the other side around the corner had twice as many people in line waiting still. Um, they just hid that from you. So um, if you know the Slinky Dog roller coaster in Hollywood Studios in Florida, that one, I, I'm pretty sure we started way past where the line actually started. It was basically at the beginning of Toy Story Land. That's how far back it went. So it turned the corner and and we were in this other horrible like more people were there. I was like, oh my gosh, this line is really never going to end. And I was like, but but we're going to go on a roller coaster soon, and that's going to be fun. And so I kept going back and forth with these these two ideas of positive and negative. And I thought I I've always liked perspective picture books, and I was trying to think of how I could do a picture book where somebody's really negative, but somebody's also really positive, and you can see things from a different light at the same time. And I thought, well, I have a picture book that that has two different perspectives It has dear dragon has a boy and a dragon who are pen pals and they see the world differently, but that book isn't so much about how they see the world. It's, it's about more of who they are and, and assumptions they make about the other person. And I thought, well, what if, what, what if I took another stab at this pen pal thing, but instead of focusing so much on, um, on the two of them and, you know, becoming friends and, you know, in misinterpreting each other's, each other's words. I thought, what if it was one of them was really positive and one of them was really negative. And I, and I thought, well, what, what would be a good fantasy creature that's like super bubbly and positive? And the first one that came to mind was a unicorn. I'm sure there are others. There's Fairies could be super positive. Um, There's lots of fantasy creatures out there. A goblin could be very negative if I wanted to go in that direction. I felt like the human should be the negative one because that allows for more growth in a story. And so I started writing Dear Unicorn uh, while I was in line for the Slinky Dog Roller Coaster. In fact, I wrote the entire first draft of Dear Unicorn while in line at the Slinky Dog roller coaster with my oldest Percy uh, helping me by my side on my phone. And that is how it started. So the whole first draft I did write in line at the Slinky Dog roller coaster, which is kind of silly, but also true.
0: I love that. So, well, my first picture book was Don't Wake the Dragon. And I also wrote it during a long wait. So mine was on an airplane with my youngest who was like had just fallen asleep. And he was so cranky because he wasn't feeling well. And we just didn't want to wake him up. And my husband said, Don't Wake the Dragon. But again, I was like stuck on the plane not wanting to move hoping like the flight attendant didn't come down with the loud cart i think when you have a sort of creative thought to put those long wait times to use is is excellent
1: yeah that's that's probably the only time that that's happened to me where i was i was forced to be doing nothing i couldn't i mean i could have a conversation with my oldest of course but i thought and they're always they're a creative too they write and draw and so i they they were all in on Helping me brainstorm, you know, what could it be about? What, what, how, how would it look? How would it be similar to Deer Dragon, but how would it also be different? That's yeah, a because- really
0: good question. I don't want to cut you off, but so yeah. w- why don't you explain to listeners how it is different to Deer Dragon?
1: So in Deer Dragon, the characters are sharing poetry with each other. And I thought, well, I don't I want to have to just do poetry again, not have to. There's no rules here, but I thought, Let's try to make it different. What else is a way that characters can express themselves and how they're feeling? And I thought sometimes art could be a really interesting way to do that. So in Dear Unicorn, they are sharing art with each other. So with along with each letter, which are written in prose, they are sending a piece of art that they drew. That they drew and that goes along with the letter. And I think not only does the art express how they're feeling uh in the very first one when the human is feeling rather negative they they draw something very blue and thunderstorm look like um and in the second one when they lose their soccer championship by only one goal it's, it's all black and white sketches and and very serious and they take art very seriously the the unicorn is all bubbly and positive so they have sparkles and you know they. Use- different tools formats and crayons and and markers and the kind of art that that seems more kind of exciting and blurry and you know flashy and so i thought you know that could be a fun way to have the two connect through the story by introducing not poetry but art and something else that obviously was very important was the whole positive and negative aspect. So while I didn't originally intend Dear Dragon to have this whole we can make assumptions about each other's characters thing going, I realized that that was something teachers liked. So I thought, is there anything, well, teachers, readers, children, they, they all could like. So I thought maybe there was something something similar. And that's where the positive and negative, which really inspired the whole story came. And so um and it also allows allows for growth now the unicorn is very positive but um the unicorn has to grow a little bit too and so the unicorn starts to grow in their art styles they start to become a little fancier with their art and and they sort of the, throughout the book the two characters i don't want to say merge their art styles towards each other but they definitely encourage each other to pursue different avenues of having fun with art and being a little bit more serious with art and spoiler alert it ends with them collaborating together making a giant mural at the pen pal art festival at the end of the year
0: i love that mural page so for me like books can be one of the most important tools in shaping young minds so do you want to elaborate unicorn is more positive and uh, Nick, the unicorn and, and Connie, the kid is definitely more negative. So, I mean, what goes into that? Because obviously it's okay to be negative and have feelings, but to what point do you become too negative? And then on the flip side of that, you can be overly positive and not allow somebody who's having big feelings to have those feelings, right? So I feel like your book does this beautiful dance of that where at first, every time Connie says something negative, Unicorn puts a really beautiful, positive spin on it. But I feel like it starts to kind of mesh together by the end where they're just kind of a little more in tune with each other. And Connie becomes a bit more positive and Nick just becomes, you know, she's still obviously always going to be looking on the bright side. But just I don't know if it's because Connie just improves with her positivity that I've, it feels like unicorn meets, you tell me.
1: I don't think I intended unicorn to necessarily become more negative because I didn't think that, but I, I do see your point about, sometimes you have to let people have their down moments um, and just work through it. Uh, I definitely have those moments and there's really nothing anyone can say to make it better in those times, but I agree That Now that you're mentioning it, I'm realizing there are some parts in the book, there's at one point where the unicorn does get a little negative, she bashes dragons, um, (laughs) jokingly, Um, but there are some things like, you know, she's not always positive about everything, but I think sometimes it comes with people becoming closer to each other and and knowing each other. A lot of times your outward personality, what you post on social media is going to be all the happy stuff. Uh, You're not going to post when, you know, uh, some small negative things annoy you. And even if you do, you know, hopefully you do it in a, I usually do it in a joking way, but like every time someone cuts me off in traffic, I don't post about it on social media, obviously because I'm driving, but also would serve no purpose. And, and so I think once you start to get to know someone, you can be a little bit more of yourself. Now, Connie doesn't have a problem being cranky or, what did Publishers Weekly call it? Hold on, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to rephrase it for you. Do it. So, Publishers Weekly described Connie as uh, a detail oriented artist who vents about nearly everything. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you got it. That's what she's doing. She's just venting in her letters about everything. Whereas, bright pink Nick is, is a unicorn with a fluffy purple mane. And she is, on the other hand, sticks with cheery graphics and remains unfailingly upbeat. So, I think. That's a good way to put it as as Publishers Weekly said, but there are times when you get a little closer to someone, you can be a little bit more of yourself and you break down that whole like just you know, let's talk about the weather, hey everyone, everything's happy kind of conversation. So I don't know if, if this would be like a good a good time if if you would it be okay to read a page and oh you know, yeah, maybe, please maybe I maybe I can read a page and then I'll be Connie the human and you could be Nick the unicorn writing uh reading on on the way back um, i would
0: love to but just as a forewarning i haven't practiced any unicorn voices so i That's okay. <laughs> i'll you do sound my just best just like a
1: unicorn to me right right now so all right uh, this is not the beginning of this story so i'm gonna play the role of constance nace air it's a hyphenated last name constance nace Eyre. and you will be nicole sharp bianca November 1st, dear Nicole Sharp, all day baking, ugh, I had to do chores all day yesterday too. Last week, my soccer team lost in the championship by one goal. Can you believe it? My birthday is July 21st, so I never get to celebrate in school. When's yours? From Constance. But everyone just calls me Connie.
0: December 1st, Dear Connie, wow! You made the championship and almost won! My birthday is leap day, February 29th. I only get to celebrate every four years. But when I do, it's the best party ever! Bad news, I broke my horn. It's gonna take six weeks to mend. On the bright side, I have more time for art. Like my dad always says, life is all glitter and cupcakes if you look at it right question what's your favorite book yours truly nicole but my friends call me nick
1: there's a lot going on in this book especially with the illustrations things that charles santoso the illustrator added but on the next page so nicole ended nicole but my friends call me nick the next page starts off with dear nicole she does not call her Nick on the next page. Like, There's a lot of hidden little things that happen in this book. In fact, on the next page, that's that's when Connie ends up visiting the animal shelter with cats all day. And she looks all cranky because she's trying to paint while she's in the animal shelter. And there's a million fluffy cats that I think a lot of kids would, would enjoy that. But some might not, and I understand. And one of them ends up getting a paw print on the painting, which is... You know, definitely frustrating. It was not a, anything I wrote. It was not an illustration note. it was all Charles. She adopts that cat and he's in all the rest of, this, of of the pages. And there's so many little hidden things that he added just like that that build throughout the year that these characters are doing. and it, it's awesome. it's it's very, very layered. I was really, really pushing to get specifically Charles to illustrate this book.
0: Yeah, well, when when we were talking last year about My Pet Feet and you mentioned that Dear Unicorn was coming out this year and you said Charles was the illustrator, I like inside totally flipped out because he's just hands down one of my favorite children's book illustrators. So if you really wanted him for the book, like how did that all work out for you?
1: I knew that the illustrator had to be able to illustrate multiple different art styles and While I'm pretty sure most of Charles Santoso's work is digital, if not all of it, he has so many different styles of picture books throughout his catalog. He's obviously illustrated a lot of book covers, um, books like Wish Tree by Catherine Applegate and uh, a handful of others, but he's also illustrated books like one of my favorites is Ida Always. He's got a whole series with Karen Levis of animals, and uh, the newest one is out this October. Although I actually bought it in a bookstore in Boulder in august which is amazing that it was there early and it's okay don't worry it's allowed i checked with uh with booksellers um but it's called mighty muddy us and that one's about two elephants but there are four books that that he's done and and they look like they're paintings they look like paintings you would put on the wall of a museum um even though i think they are done digitally and then he's got books that are sort of comic booky like peanut butter and brains and they look Like they could be coming out of a graphic novel or something like that. A lot of pencil sketch type things with with the way it's colored. And then he has other books like Dandy by Amy Dykman and many more. But he has so many different styles and distinct styles. Or maybe it's just a a range of of styles uh, over a spectrum. But that I knew we needed to have somebody that could draw Obviously, the style of the book itself, right? How is, how is the book illustrated? How are the characters drawn? But it also needed to have at least two other distinct styles. One being Connie's art, the fancy art that belongs in a museum kind of art. And also fun, bubbly, sparkly style that is Nick's art. And Nick's art, you know, it, it it's going to be a completely different style, and then they're going to merge over time, merge, or or maybe they just evolve over time. And each of them has, you can even see in the very last picture that Nick draws. Nick sends a picture of a uh, of a castle because. Connie had mentioned that there's going to be a bouncy castle at the Pen Pal Art Festival, and Nick is not familiar with bouncy castles, as you would expect a unicorn to not have experience with bouncy castles. Yes, we do see at the very end what happens when a unicorn goes into a bouncy castle. But she draws this picture of a castle, and it's got a little pointillism to it, and it's definitely Nick's style, but it's also a little bit more of a fancier style. And you can tell how each of the characters in their own ways has evolved as an artist throughout the year and how they've each encouraged and affected each other's art styles. And to be able to do that, we needed somebody who had the ability to draw that many different art styles in the same book. Yeah. And I kept mentioning to my editor, you know, we, we need someone kind of like a Charles Santoso type, a Charles Santoso type. And after saying that enough times, she said, well, what if I just asked Charles Santoso, and I was like, "Oh, that would be a great idea." Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, and you know, I've never met him. He, I believe, lives in Singapore. He's he's uh, maybe spent some time in Australia. So I've I've never met him face to face. I've never spoken to him. As I'm sure your listeners know, that uh, many authors and illustrators don't speak. I still have not heard his voice. That's not true. I've I've heard his voice when he does um, Instagram lives, or he did at some points. But I. I knew him from social media I had tweeted to him how much a big fan I am of Ida always and Dandy and a handful of his other books over time he had responded to those so I think he at least my name might be familiar to him I think he knew some of my titles possibly the the online social media interactions hopefully you know I'm sure he gets lots of people to ask them to illust- him to illustrate their books and I hopefully having heard of heard the name Josh Funk before might have, made him a little bit more open to illustrating Dear Unicorn.
0: Well, let me let me ask you this. You mentioned while we were looking through the illustrations a moment ago that, you know, he obviously bought some things that weren't from your words in the text. So were there any illustration notes provided at all? And also, what was the most surprising thing that he added to the book that you didn't expect?
1: Okay, I'm gonna have to look through for a second. (laughs) So I tend to not use too many illustration notes because, you know, but some books require illustration notes, and there are definitely some places where I had some, and there were even some places where we kind of went back and forth once the art was was done, and not directly. It always goes through the editors and the art directors. One of the things that I think the cat surprised me the most and the fact that she adopted the cat. I mean, I didn't realize that until maybe the sixth or seventh time I read the book. And I think a a reader who wasn't so focused on the text and what do you think about the art maybe would notice that much sooner. But that's really what I think struck me the most. But there's so many things that he added, like they weigh the unicorns paint, they have attachments to their... To their horns to paint um that's one of the ways sometimes they actually paint with their with their hooves but you can see that when nick does that she is usually wearing some sort of slipper like a paint slipper to do that they do have um <laughs> nick the unicorn has a ton of pairs of shoes that are there's four of which i think was also very entertaining to me i mean that there's a ton of little things. One of the things that I actually asked to be added later on in the story was, so during the pandemic, which hopefully is trailing off, I did a lot of story times in 2020 on social media, on I think mostly Saturday mornings because I have a day job. So I, I did a lot of story times. And after a couple of them, I had done them on Instagram and Facebook at the same time. And I was reading my books and my a friend of a friend asked, hey, would you have any interest in having an ASL interpreter on? And I thought, yeah, that would be great. I absolutely would. You know, how much do they charge? And they offered to do it for free. Don't worry, I sent them a ton, a bit, all of my books. Uh, I think I did each of my books twice. And at the time, there were 12 of them. So I did 24 weeks in a row, almost half a year. And the I had an ASL interpreter that joined and helped me do it for all but the first three. and. It works great on Instagram because you can do little split screens. So I'm not well connected with the deaf and hard of hearing community, but I thought that that was something that I learned more about during that process. And I connected her with other authors and they did some book launches, especially when everything was virtual. And then I was at a book signing and a little girl was there and i had met them once before at the same bookstore earlier and they said to me hey would you they have diabetes and they had a little patch on their arm that injected stuff in their arm uh and i'm not i'm not familiar with diabetes uh and the diabetes community but they said would you ever put a character like that in one of your books and i thought i i don't feel comfortable doing that only because i don't know enough about that but i was a little bit connected with the deaf community f- and during the pandemic and i thought you know i I would love to put some incidental representation um and so if you look closely on I guess the second page when the you see the unicorn's classroom uh they they added a one of the microphones that you put over your neck that the teacher wears and um, not they Charles and he put uh and I asked him to if this if it was okay and the editors if it was okay and they they put a little uh microphone in the ear of uh One of the unicorns. And so I was excited about that. So, you know, maybe next time I will ask the illustrator to put a uh diabetic patch on one of the characters in my book. And I I think it's cool that it's a unicorn too. I I mean I it could have been one of the kids, but I thought it would be more fun to have a a deaf unicorn in in the story. So yeah. Um, you know, if you are doing story times, especially virtually, if you're able to secure a AS an ASL interpreter, I highly recommend doing that. So yeah,
0: yeah, message me
1: directly if you want my contact. I didn't don't want to put them out there in case they don't want to. So that's yeah, and saying.
0: you have a contact form on your uh, website, which is joshfunkbooks.com. So anyone yeah. can reach out to you there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You can always reach out to me there. But I and I I, I think that it, accessibility is something that we don't always think about enough. And I want to make sure that when I that I try to do that when I can. And whether it's adding something incidental like this, this is not a book about a deaf character. It's something that Hopefully the people that need to see it, will, or that they'll, they'll enjoy it. And I also think, yeah, accessible. I mean, I, I've been having some hip problems lately. I'm getting old man. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I think about the fact that like, Hey, would I be able to get into this building, you know, in 20 years, if I have hip problems or whatever. So yeah, just something that I've been thinking a lot, a lot about lately.
0: Yeah, well, I have two things I want to say about all of that. So the first thing is the light and fluffy thing is that I just think what you pointed out there is why picture books are so amazing, because often, obviously, that's the main story. There's the text, that's the beginning, the middle and the end. Uh, There's the problem that needs to get solved. But when you have a picture book and you sit there and you read it over and over, you end up finding those little nuggets of unexpected things like the cat getting adopted that isn't necessarily part of the story but it is a story within the illustrations and having representation and inclusivity in the in the other characters as well is just i think there's so much that you can take from a picture
1: book when i first saw the cat that was adopted on my sixth or seventh read i got chills i mean i was like oh my gosh i i didn't even realize that the cat is there and like just the fact that she's scowling almost at this cat on the previous page. And the next one it's at her leg. You you can feel the character growth. And that and that's not something that was in the text. That is a hundred and fifty it's a hundred percent Charles Santoso adding that in. And the fact it's just it it kind of to see a book that that I helped create and to have something blow my mind like that is it's it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen, but that does, yeah.
0: Yeah, I just love those little magic nuggets, you know, the separate side stories going on inside the illustrations. I just think it's such a great opportunity to add some inclusivity and just special moments of representation in there too. So I love that. And my second point that I wanted to make is, this is something I really appreciate about you, is that you really push for inclusivity and representation. And I was lucky enough to see you read stories in here in Colorado at, at uh, the wandering jellyfish in niwot colorado and even though you were there to read your stories you made a point of also recommending there were other authors in the audience you you pointed out that there were other authors and suggested that the families there check out their books and then you also shared books by other authors that were diverse and offered great representation and so I really respect and appreciate that you make sure that you use your platform to share the work of others.
1: Uh, Well, first, I I think I got that. I I have to credit Kate Messner for giving uh, that inspiration, uh, not to be inclusive. uh, Yes, to be inclusive, but not that. But, But I've been to a lot of author events and Kate... Every time shares books by other authors, often by underrepresented communities, uh, and by authors from a, and illustrators from underrepresented communities. And and after having seen her do that a bunch of times, I thought that's that's one of the many reasons Kate Messner is so amazing. But that's something that I can do. I can use the privilege that I have, the fact that I am. I've been asked to visit this bookstore in Colorado or I've have a connection with them and they're interested in hosting me. I can I can use that platform to make sure I I'm, I'm use it wisely and share books that I love. And it, if it happens to be that they're by people of color or about diverse topics, um, LGBTQIA+, then cool. Um, but uh, it just happens to be books that I love. And I think it's important. That's important because... Uh, I mean, where do you even start? It's important that everyone sees themselves in books. It's important that everyone sees other people in books so they can understand as best they can the experiences that other people have that they might not have. Um, I grew up a white kid in the suburbs in upper middle class. I had the ability to go to college and I didn't have a ton of debt coming out of UMass Amherst. And I got a day job and I have a 40 hour a week day job where I have weekends that I that I can spend going to book events and doing things like that. Not everybody can, only works 40 hours from nine to five. And I recognize that I'm very privileged to be in this situation. And so I try to use my privilege Wisely, and to me, that means when I do a book signing, uh, especially locally in the Boston area, I'll try to invite a friend to join with me, and we can both. I mean, it helps with publicity. I don't have to do all of it myself. Well, the bookstore will too, of course. But, um, but yeah, I like to try to make sure uh, that everyone is getting the attention that they that they truly deserve, because there are so many great books that are published all the time that don't get the attention that they deserve, and there's a lot of people out there that that. That don't have the ability to spend their weekends and their money uh, going to conferences like I did. And they may have to work two jobs or work on weekends. They may not be able to afford to go to to spend money traveling to New York or LA to an SCBWI conference or even their regional ones. And so just trying to make this as accessible for all authors and creators as possible. But also it really comes down to the kids. The kids, Need to see themselves and others in books. The whole, you know, you need to have windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors and skylights and all the things. So, um, yeah.
0: Well, on, on that note, do you have some picture books or any kind of books that you would love to share? Because I know you're so good at making recommendations.
1: Um, Let's see a couple of books that I've been really into lately. I mean, there's a lot. OK, so this one here is called Gibberish. By Young Vo. This is one of those picture books that has to be a picture book. You can't tell it in another way or or a graphic novel or whatever, but it has to be illustrated. It is is brilliant. It's about a kid who sets sail on a boat and it's going to be their first day in school. Their name is Dat. He's illustrated in a particular style, but all the other kids in the neighborhood, they all kind of look like Disney characters from 1930, like whatever the cow's name is and stuff, like really, really old school, black and white. Yeah, you know, like
0: Mickey Mouse, St- yeah. Steamboat Willie, kind
1: of. Exactly, exactly, and um, th- th- they aren't those characters. They're they're all kind of silly, goofy creatures. But the point is that that doesn't understand what they're saying, and so the great thing about this is all the other characters speak in symbols, and. At first, all of the symbols are just symbols and they mean nothing. And they're they're talking in speech bubbles, but there's a, a universal language of play that the other kids are like, they wanna play. Let's go play on the seesaw and you know, jump on a rope and things like that. And slowly Dat learned some of the letters. And you can actually, when you get to the end of the book and I did this, you can map out every single thing that was said earlier because you can figure out what each letter was based on other things you learn later on slowly he learns the language but it shows you the experience of what it's like to come to a country and not understand a single word and you know slowly you learn but like to be able to do it in picture book form you know you got these symbols here and then that means duck because they're drawing a picture of a duck and you, I I went through and did it like a puzzle and figured out every single word based on which letters were which and it's eventually those silly cartoon character-looking characters turn into more of the same art style that Dad is is drawn in originally, and and he's able to sort of figure things out with the language. Anyway, it just it's a it's brilliant, and it's one of those books like remember the Remember Balloons, which is one of my favorites of all time that you you can only do in a picture book. It, it had to be done this way and and that's the best kind of picture book is it not the best i mean there's, there's lots of different great kinds of picture books but one of my favorite kinds of picture books is the kind where you couldn't have written a novel like this like sure you, you could have you could have said that the character didn't really understand it was it was sad oh but they still got to understand that they they were playing together but in a picture book yeah, see it all. Yeah. And um, to me, that's brilliant. And then another one that I recently discovered, it's not super new. And there's at least a second one. This one is called Take a Breath by Sujin Rim. And it's about a bird named Bob. And Bob is always busy. Bob is always busy he never stops he never has time to stop and other uh, his other friends are like okay well you got to slow down a little bit it's super hilarious and illustrated and it's not like an over overly didactic moral but. um, You know he's trying to learn to fly he can't fly and so sometimes you just have to take a breath and, and relax and let it. Let it come to you. Take a breath, flew under my radar, pun intended. And I, I didn't find it until a bookseller recommended it to me. By the way, I go to a lot of bookstores, even ones where I'm not doing signing. Sometimes it's when another author has a signing, but sometimes I just visit bookstores and I always ask the booksellers what their favorite picture books are. And that's where I get some of my best suggestions so definitely do that if you're an author if you're a, a teacher consumer whatever um, booksellers know their stuff they're probably not going to recommend good night moon or the very hungry caterpillar to you which is nice because um, every baby already has 12 of those so don't buy them for baby showers but yeah take a breath is a really cute book and, and there's already a sequel to it and that one is called take a chance
0: What are you working on right now? Like, what's the next book that's going to come out after Dear Unicorn? And I know you're working on stuff, but I don't know what you're allowed to share and what you're not allowed to share yet.
1: The next book, I still can't share, which is weird. But I'll tell you, it's the sixth book in the Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast series. Officially, I know the release date. I've seen the cover, (laughs) Um, but it's too early to go up for pre-orders. And so and, and it's not available online anywhere. So um, I'm going to keep the title a secret. I will say, so Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast is my most popular book series. The first one had a great publicity job by the publisher, which I'm very fortunate that that happened. And that that allowed it to get on booksellers' radars and educators' radars. And I was I was fortunate enough that they were happy to make more. Each one of those books, I try to change up the genre. And I also try to think about what is a fridge problem that could be solved. And so while I can't tell you the title um, or show you the cover, I can tell you the genre and the fridge problem. So previous genres have been, we had a we had a race, we had a mystery, we had an action adventure spy thriller. We had a sci-fi comedy slash magical body swap, kind of like Freaky Friday or Big meets Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And Then the most recent one, The Great Caper Caper, was a heist. The food problems in all of those books were... The first one was, I always ask kids, I'm like, have you ever fought with a sibling over the last bite of something, pizza, cake, in this case, the last drop of syrup? Well, that's that's the fridge problem in the first book. And the second one, it's, have you ever opened the fridge and smelled something kind of funny? Well, that's the case of the stinky stench. And the next one, it's, have you ever opened the fridge and things started to freeze over a little bit too much? That one is, is mission defrostable when the fridge starts to freeze over. The next one is they start to go stale. So has anyone ever opened the fridge and things start to go stale? Well, that's what happens in short and sweet and then the fifth one the newest one the great caper caper is has anyone ever opened the fridge and the light bulb was out so the fridge problem for book six title redacted is have you ever opened the fridge and left something in there that didn't belong there by accident like that time i left my keys in there with my iced coffee and i couldn't find them for the weekend it was really annoying i had to walk everywhere anyway so that is the fridge problem and the genre is alien invasion.
0: But my kids are huge fans of Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast. We can't leave our conversation today without circling back to Dear Unicorn. When readers, and I'm not just talking about kids, but readers as in teachers, readers as in parents, readers and kids, when they're done reading Dear Unicorn, what are your hopes for it? Like, what, what do you hope they take away?
1: I I don't really think I should say what people take away I think people can take away whatever they want to take away I think with this book in particular there's so much that they that they can take away whether it's that oh it was it was cute illustrations or whether it's I want to have a pen pal of my own someday or I want to draw a mural on the wall it it could be that you know I didn't like unicorns before but now I do or it could be I want to go to an amusement park because that one Sparky's world looked fun I don't think it's really up to me to say what people take away from the book. I really hope that while they're reading the book, they really soak up every page and spend some time on every page, looking at all the details that Charles Santoso put into this. And I don't mean details like the brushstrokes. I mean details like the page where Nicole, uh, Nick, the unicorn, get it, Nick, you, Nick, corn, When when Nick, Nick goes on vacation and. Is with her friend Abe in the mountains. And she says, We love, I love rolling giant snowballs into men. And so, you know, when you're when you're rolling giant snowballs into men, you're making a snowman or a snow person. But when when they're rolling giant snowballs into men, they're really rolling giant snowballs down a hill into people skiing, into humans, men skiing. And I want you to see that. Like, I want you to pick up on things that aren't explicitly said. I didn't mention it in here, but similar to Dear Dragon, the two characters don't realize they're writing to a different species. I I think that was maybe sort of a given um, because that was the case in the first book. But it is the case in the same in the book here. But not only do they do that in a way where they don't mention it in their words, but they have to not draw a picture of anything human or anything unicorn related in each of the pictures. And that's something that it took a lot of, cleverness on Charles' part to make sure that that didn't happen. And uh, it 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 worked out brilliantly. And so um, I just want people to enjoy it while they're reading it. And I want them to go and read another book because they love reading so much. That's what I want them to take from it.
0: I love that, Josh. And But I am going to say that I have some hopes for your book that readers do take away, even though it's none of my business what they take away. Like you said, they can take away whatever is most important to them, whether it's just plain fun or, you know, whatever. So some things that I hope they take away, it's okay to ask others questions to get to know them. Ask questions. Be curious about other people. Don't just think about yourself. Get to know people, ask questions. So I hope. I hope that readers take that away.
1: Well, so that's something I don't I don't want to say I didn't like. No, I mean, that's not something I thought of or planned when I was writing this book. But that's something you took away. And that's. That's great. That's not something that's, I mean, that's the perfect example of a reader taking away something that meant something to them. And you as a parent, an educator, you know, that's something that maybe you want to inspire others to be curious. And that's something that you care about and you feel strongly about. And you saw that in this book through your lens, even though I've never seen that before. Not that you're wrong, you're right. But that's not something that was intentional, but that's okay. That's great. I love that you took that away and, you know, it's okay that you take things away that other people don't. And uh, yeah, absolutely, that's, that's very cool.
0: Well, you want to know something else I took away that I know about this others get to is I just, I love Nick. I love Nick, the unicorn. I love that she always looks on the bright side. And I love that even though it was subtle and whether you had intended it or not, that she subtly drew back, like she never became negative. She still always looks on the bright side, but she she connected with Connie and allowed Connie to be who she was so that Connie also started to look on the bright side. I just love that whole like bright side message, look on the bright side, that it's a unicorn and it's sparkly and rainbows and it's just so enjoyable. And I'm going to share my final hope. If books like The Day the Crayons Quit and Dragons Love Tacos can be number one New York Times bestsellers, I just hope that Dear Unicorn can get there too, because this honestly is such a great book for schools and homes. And I can imagine preschool teachers, you know, teaching kids to have pen pals. They may not have the literacy and writing skills yet to write, but this book shows them that you can communicate through artwork and write pictures and share with your art. And then all the way up to upper elementary, that pen pal, and, and they can still communicate through art. And now they can also communicate through words. And I don't know. Everybody, I love this book and I hope that Josh gets to add New York Times bestselling author to his bio because I think he deserves it with this book. It's so fun.
1: Well, thank you so much. That's 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 very sweet. I, I mean, I always hope that, too, but it's always it's a long shot with any of that. But I do think that you brought up something that I never thought about, which, again, is that you could community you could be pen pals in preschool by drawing pictures you could be pen pals at, at the age of two. Once you can, you know, start scribbling with a crayon and be like, hey, this is from so and so and we mailed it across the country. That never occurred to me. I mean, the, all these things that you're saying are are brilliant and it's not my intention. Obviously, me being a New York Times bestseller some days is, is brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, this is I, that's the power of picture books is that everybody sees things, different things in them. Everybody sees the capabilities of them and and just, you know, hopefully people find it. That's that's the best thing about podcasts is you're you're helping to share great books and that's something that uh, all books all books could use a leg up especially ones that you enjoy so thank you
0: yeah, absolute pleasure, Josh. And thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciated having you. I love your books and really enjoy our chats. So I hope that you'll be back again for a third time.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you again for inviting me and uh, have, have a, great, a great rest of your, uh, great rest of your, I don't know what day this is gonna air. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Josh Funk's Dear Unicorn. You can find out more about Josh Funk at joshfunkbooks.com. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening be sure to follow and subscribe the show on your favorite podcast platform to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of The Children's Book Review. To find more books just like Dear Unicorn, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.